what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty movie-going co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? The movies are back, baby. They've been back. <laughs> They've been back, and you're, you're getting to all of them. We're, we're going to be re- reviewing four movies today, and I only got to two. So this is uh, a Dave... Dave is carrying the pod on his shoulders as per usual, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> we uh, we're also going to be talking some married to the game, baby. <laughs> um, before we get into all this, SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod and YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pod. We have a lot of fun things to talk about today. But Dave, as the world opens back up and festivals have returned controversy has come with it and some tragedy as well this past friday night astroworld 2021 going down in houston obviously travis scott's festival so going down in houston makes a lot of sense um was marked and shut down early by eight deaths uh i think the reports now have over 100 people who have gone to the hospital as a result of uh stampeding or pushing towards the stage overcrowding people being trampled um it's under investigation obviously but uh it was really like a a weird thing to wake up to saturday and see all this um as videos and reports have trickled out just is like more and more like harrowing how dire the situation was and how little control and help there seemed to be um and it's also i think just as people have gone to a festival and especially, you know, you've gotten up close. I've been in my younger years up close to the stage and been in that push sometimes, uh, you know, just kind of like shocking to hear how serious this got very quickly. What was your just like general yeah. reaction when you first heard? Not, not only have I gone to a festival a few times, I've seen Travis Scott at a festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, obviously uh, ridiculous, not something you expect to happen. I mean, it harkens back to like Altamont and like Woodstock 99 and like shit that we just assumed was in the past, thankfully, right? And the first thing that I started to think about is like, oh, Astro World Festival, it's only, this is only its third year in existence. This just kind of seems like some Bush League shit happened. Like, this would not happen at a festival managed by Golden Voice. No way. Yeah, no. You know? And there's a lot of things to think about and fingers to point. But I think a lot of it is just that this is a festival that was uh, not handled properly. And, you know, I think a lot of people are bringing this up. Astroworld in the past, I believe 2019, the last time they did it, there were some issues with like people rushing the security checkpoint and like just like a, a rowdiness that seemed to overwhelm the security. Again, just something that's like quite unacceptable at this kind of public event because we know how successful and safe festivals of 100,000 plus people can be done. So why wasn't that done this time? It just brings a lot of unfortunate questions because, I mean, kids should not die at a music festival. It's absurd. Right. And, and that, I think that's something we should add to the report is that all eight people have been identified at this point and the age range is from 14 to 27 years old. And uh, in terms of people who've gone to the hospital as a result of the incident on Friday night, uh, someone as young as 10 has been put into the hospital and is in critical condition at this time. So right. um, some it, it's uh, 
definitely, I think, confusing and surprising. It's not like Astroworld is just Travis Scott backing all this money. I mean, Live Nation is behind this. Right. They're, they're a seasoned uh, promotion and production company who should be able to put on a festival like this. And, you know, I, I there were reports from, what, 2019, the first year that they did it, that there were people storming the gates. This seems to be a, a typical thing that happens at this festival at this point. There, there was videos of people doing it at this concert, yeah. uh, this Astroworld festival. Um, and so, you, you know, you do feel, get the sense from that that security might have felt a little overwhelmed or understaffed in some way. Reports say that they had over 500 security people on staff. I don't, I don't know how many people are typically on staff for a festival this size, but the reports were that there were 50,000 people there and all those people packed into one area. You would think that they would have to have some sort of crowd control uh, uh, procedure um, to go about this. And it just felt like no one took control of this situation until it got too bleak and it happened really quickly. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of reporting in the New York times as they've, everyone's trying to piece together. And as you said, the Houston, Police department still investigating a lot of things about it, but I, when I looked at the set list, you know, and when I first, you know, heard that it happened, I was looking at the set list. I was like, this does not seem awfully strategically staggered the way a festival is supposed to be to split people up. Obviously, everyone's more or less going to be congregating for Travis at the end. That's inevitable. But during the day, it didn't seem that uh, wise. And if you read the reporting from New York Times people were starting to go to the medical tent in the afternoon, way before Travis started. And obviously that happens all the time, whether it's dehydration, someone's fucked up on booze, drugs, whatever it is, that's going to happen. But it seemed to be that there's just a, a higher level of that. It's not like Astroworld is a place where people are getting fucked up any more than any other festival. I, I, I really doubt that's the case, right. you know? So it, it, yeah, I mean, in the, in the reporting, they, they noted like there was, you know, a lot of like emergency plans and they had done more with barriers and stuff. So like doing a better job was definitely on the mind of who was doing this. And yet this still happens, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of the uh, talk now has been about Travis Scott's own role in this, obviously as you know, part of the organizers behind it, I think obviously just leadership wise, a lot of blame that we've just talked about, but also then there's his role as the performer. I believe, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's some viral videos on uh, social media that have highlighted kids from the pit trying to flag security down to stop the show. Travis didn't seem to understand that was happening or wanted to push through regardless so i believe when the first when the first deaths were reported he still performed another like 30 minutes or something along those lines so a lot of like i guess a lot of unknowns still about yeah. how travis the performer fits into that but he definitely didn't help the matters you know he does have that uh bully pulpit like all performers do you can stop the show and people have been showing stuff from Food Fighters or ASAP Rocky at Complex yeah. Con this very weekend. You can briefly stop the show and like, hey, pick those people up, you know? Mm -hmm. And obviously, Big C, tens of thousands of people. It's hard for the performer to see everything going on. But also, I feel like he started to see ambulance lights eventually, right? And didn't seem to acknowledge it. Yeah, there the videos um, 
when he first stopped the show and he actually says to the music, like he tells it to stop and then says, just play in soft and we'll, we'll bring it back up and mm. tells the security, the security or the uh, you know, medics to get over to a certain spot, certain person, then just start singing again. That's been a viral video. It's also a video, like you mentioned, where he can see the ambulance in the crowd. And then he immediately tells everybody to put both hands up. Right. And uh, it's, it's just really tough. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say. I've never been in his position where I'm performing at night with this many people. There's a lot of commotion, a lot of movement. If he saw it, if he didn't, I assume he must have known something was off to the point where he's telling the music to stop, people to go over to a certain area. Right. It just is, uh, it's hard, I think, to make sense of the statements that come out afterwards where him and Kylie Jenner both made statements saying that they weren't aware of what was going on no of course they wouldn't have been performing through this or you know recording videos if they knew the severity of things um but when you're the lead performer for this festival when you're the the face of the festival uh it does feel like there needs to be a little bit more accountability uh, obviously at this point his lawyers are in his ears saying don't oh, say he's sorry getting, he's already don't. getting sued like that's already yeah. happening so um, I know that he has to be tight-lipped at this point. Um, so it's, it's just, it's a very like difficult thing, I think, to make sense of. And there's going to be weeks and weeks of investigation into this. Uh, and like you said, legal battles are certainly on the horizon. He's canceled his uh, performances at future festivals at this point. Um, I mean, we're not getting that album, right? No, Utopia or the Dystopia mixed in, they, they ain't coming. Yeah. <laughs> we know that, so. Um, it's, uh, very tough. Yeah, everyone's getting refunds. Um, Travis, as well as, or even earlier, Roddy Rich, someone who wasn't a headliner, offered to, you know, pay for, you know, services for the victims, things like that. Um, you know, one thing, you know, you hear, you hear about it, right? And it's like, I, I've kind of like, a lot, there's like a lot of anecdotal thoughts I've had. It's like, I do feel like a lot of, a lot of young people might not be super trained in festival etiquette in terms of being in a large concert. You read some of the quotes from kids that were trying to get things done. There were people like getting trampled or collapsed on the ground that were not getting picked up by the people around mm -hmm. them. At the end of the day, the people in the pit need to help keep you safe. If yeah. you can't keep yourself safe anymore. Right. Like it's, it, it, it's a lot of that. And obviously like it, it the way it sounds the walls were closing in from the sides that's how the crush happened mm -hmm. that's basically out of everyone's control in the middle i know that but you know i mean that's also not that's not a great look if like the people around you didn't help you up you know yeah. and oh, then again that probably falls on security to try and pick out the fucked up people and kick them out earlier in the day you know mm -hmm. it's a it's, it's a big fucking mess and there, unfortunately just you know the all the reporting we had about Rolling Loud New York being like incredibly over-policed, almost with a racial undertone as a hip hop festival um, a theme for Rolling Loud New York. Mm -hmm. I think coupling that with this, what has just happened now, the loss of life, I just, I wonder what future festivals, especially ones aimed at very young people with rap, I wonder how that's going to go at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that That's something that came to mind for me. I mean, we were, we're, having a uh, regular conversation about the state of festivals and festivals have done very well post COVID. That was a prediction that we both got very wrong. Yep. Um, and I think now that we've had these two in uh, weekends, very close 
close to each other, it kind of throws into question again, like what are, how are things going to change? What's it going to look like to bring it back to Travis just real quick. You know, there's there's been a lot of Travis slander coming out. I mean, obviously when something like this happens, people are more likely to take pot shots or get things off their chest to kind of keep on to a person Mm -hmm. at this time. But I think one critique that has been kind of ringing true to me is just how Travis is like, known for not that's i wouldn't say inciting violence but just inciting rowdiness at these yeah, the concerts, you know, yeah encouraging people to just mm-hmm. let go be rambunctious uh he's yelled at security before for stopping mm-hmm. people from rushing rushing stages so i do feel like there's some like almost like inevitability to not necessarily this but there being some sort of incident at a, a travis scott event that was going to look bad at some point and probably get mm-hmm. out of hand but to get to this level is just absolutely tragic and yeah, so, so devastating. Yeah. You know, I mean, a, a lot of people probably go to Astroworld and, and the pe- people fly in. It's not like it's just a, just a Houston thing by any means. It's a national festival. Of course people go because they're huge fans of Travis Scott and they want to fucking get lit with La Flame. You know, that, that, that is the energy and he has a great reputation as a live performer. And part of that is high energy. I mean, again, like in a positive light, I remember seeing songs that are not super high energy of his studio wise. When he performs them, they're fucking nuts, like like stargazing or something, you know? That's just what he does. And on the other hand, I've been in situations where the artist told me to rush and me and the whole crowd rushed. I saw Tyler Crater in 2013 and we were standing on the fucking seats pushing. He said, fuck, he's like, fuck security. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. And we did. And what happened? They cut the fucking mic. And made us all go back or they're going to cancel the show. Kid Cudi came out ahead of time and it's like, hey guys, this is fun, but we got to go back. And everyone's like, okay, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like there's ways to, to control the, the energy of the crowd, you know? So it's, a, it's, it, it's really sad, honestly, and, ju- and just an unacceptable outcome. Yeah. Uh, not, not good for music, not good for anybody here. Major rip to those eight people and uh, speedy recovery to all those who were uh, sent to the hospital or impacted. Um, but why don't we move on to some happier news, though, which is we got a new Amine album, Dave. Uh, Amine is, you know, artist I think we both really liked for quite a while now, but really with his last couple projects have just felt like he's really finding his lane and starting to like master it. And it just almost has felt like a level up recently. Now we get 2.5. Do you feel like Amine has, uh, continue to build on that momentum did a 2.5 feel like a settling where were you at with it yeah i mean much like the 1.5 mixtape this is and it, it, his own words i mean his own words uh lower stakes more experimental music for the fans in between albums uh the way i used to make music in my bedroom just just having fun stream of conscience type thing that being said Production-wise, this is uh, much more different than anything he's done before. So, in terms of just a low-stakes mixtape, while you make the third album, I think this is this is pretty 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 tantalizing, honestly. Yeah, I I don't think that this is like my favorite Amine work uh, yet. Um, no, but I really there were some songs and some like back to back to back runs on this where I just was like, this is really interesting stuff. This is really pleasurable to listen to. Um, and that, and that kicks off for me 
pretty much right away with uh, Neo. Like it's it's the yes. single off the um, mixtape, but man, just like it's just like a really light, airy, boppy song, and yeah. he just rides that thing. The Beat's whole fucking time. good. Yeah, the beat is fantastic. It's it's really crisp, which I really appreciate. Just really stood out, and then going to okay with me right after that i thought was just a wonderful back-to-back on the track list you know okay with me has that like clap um drum sound to it over and over which i just really really dug so i don't know i thought that was really cool and you hear him singing a little bit in that which is you know he he does that sometimes but it feels a little bit more we it feels like we got a bit more of that on this album what else stood out to you yeah totally yeah i mean the beats it's like these are like hyper pop beats you know and I think he's riding them well because he's doing just simple rhymes, rhyme schemes, simple raps. And it shines on something like Neo. It shines on something like Charmander. Uh, I think I guess the rapping on Charmander is pretty uh, familiar to Amine fans, but it still sounds good because the beat's really cool, you know, and that flow matching with that beat sounds really nice. Um, you know, speaking to what you said about like, you know, singing more on like Van Gogh, he's pitching up his vocals a little bit more on a beat that sounds like it's from like a nursery rhyme or some shit, you know, it's like it, it, Mine doing hyper pop is not something I hadn't really thought about before as something to think about or, or, or pro- project for the future. And yet he just kind of fucked around and made some pretty cool. Yeah. Charmander also a clear standout to me. And that that's followed up by mad funny freestyle, which I thought was, really uh interesting yeah. beat which i also really enjoyed. I thought that was pretty good so yeah um i don't know is there any other tracks that stood out to you a lot no i guess uh, those are my those are my favorites i'd say neo for sure is definitely like that that's the one um don charmander I, I just you know again simple ass raps but born for this like matt dame red whip look like chastain simple ass reference point and yet i'm here for it yeah uh no amina just continues to be a really enjoyable uh person to follow uh and a rapper to follow so uh can't wait for that next album but 2.5 is a nice holdover for now i'd say so check out our nostalgia best of 2021 we already have charmander might be throwing another track on there but dave let's let's move on to summer walker who i recall when she dropped over it we did review that and i believe our take do we not? I can't remember. I don't know. There was a run. Man, there was a run when it was like her and Ari Lennox and Georgia Smith were all mm. dropping albums. Tiana. And they were, yeah, Tiana. And we just were like hitting all this, this R&B. And it was like this like smooth R&B. I felt like we reviewed it. Maybe we didn't. Yeah. I mean, but I listened to I, it. I listened to it. But I don't know if we I think my I think my general take with Summer Walker has just been like okay like she's pretty good but I don't, I, she hasn't really popped for me yet i guess um yeah. and, you know i think her some of her contemporaries are a little more intriguing to me um georgia smith you know specifically but mm-hmm. this album still over it i mean biggest r&b album since 2016 by a female artist it's uh, since lemonade yeah. uh really yeah. impressive do you feel like the music matches the sales for this yeah i mean like you say over it previously biggest first week streaming numbers for a female r&b artist ahead of lemonade people are into summer walk she is very popular at this point but 
I kind of had similar thoughts. I have not been super into it. Not that I dislike it. I just, it just feels like modern day R&B to me. And I don't listen to a lot of R&B normally. So it's like, you know, it's not like rising above the pale or anything. And that's still kind of how I felt. I'm still over it. I think the production is really nice on this though. So like the song she's making, I feel like are still high level. And there's some more like poppier stuff on here that grabs my attention a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, if you really listen to it, if you're really into this kind of thing, there's some, you know, really choppy, blunt lyrics that um, has been getting a lot of uh, comments online Been seeing a lot of male R&B fans clamoring for someone like Brent Fias to come back soon. And even the score, because, uh, Dudes are getting raked over the coals on this one, specifically uh, her ex, uh, one on the track, the producer. Yeah, who's who produces most of these tracks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to imagine that that was a pretty funny uh, recording session with her just like flaming him the whole time. He's just probably back there like turning knobs like with like a scowl on his face. So, so I'd like to imagine it. Obviously, probably not how it went down. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. This is so. This is a twenty-track album, and I think my my opinion of her certainly shifted because I definitely think there's a couple of tracks, a couple of moments that I really was like impressed by, especially production-wise. But just overall, was found this to be way more than I expected it to be. But I still don't know if she's. Uh, I still don't know if for me, she reaches that tier of artist where i'm like oh i'm totally bought in um you know i bitter the first track with cardi b i think would premiere to number one on the uh top 10 apple music chart even before uh, pre-sale um and i think the track's all right but i think the album really starts to take off on the second track x for a reason with jt uh from sydney girls i thought that track was really great um goes right into the track with SZA. And I think that's the thing is I was really more interested in the collaborations. When Ari Lennox shows up on Unloyal, I thought that track was a, a real like breath of fresh air and like really perked my ears up hearing them go back and forth was great. Um, the track with Pharrell, like every track with Pharrell on these sorts of albums stands out like a sore thumb. And you're just like, man, I don't know how this, like how this got on here. I don't hate it. I don't know if I necessarily loved it, but um it's very pharrell very neptune's production i thought Lil dirk and her sounded pretty good together on toxic like i didn't really like the omarion song but i thought the features really stood out to me um did you have that same feel like you were almost like living for the features on this album in some sense yeah again like when it's that many songs right <laughs> unless it's like a really like big beat to catch my attention it's just going to sound like R&B to me. And I'm not like a huge R&B guy. So it's to be expected. I actually did like uh, the Pharrell song just because. Oh, really? It stood out. Yeah. Uh, that that bouncing bass. I was like, okay, I'm into this. You know, Pharrell's barely on the track, to be honest. As, yeah, as a performer. that's true. So it's cool. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, it's just like every time there's like an R&B album like this, it's like he gets one one track to produce and make, and it just is so different. I'm always just like, all right, this is the the Pharrell song, but mm-hmm. I, I don't hate it. Like I said, it's just always just stands out. Um, what what other tracks stood out to you? Or what did you like most? Yeah, this? I'd say they were the best song probably from a writing perspective. I, I agree. I like um, X for a reason a lot. 
like I think that one's like really easy to run back. But from like a writing perspective, fourth baby mama right at the end, yeah, stands out a lot just because that's where the most cutting matter of fact lyrics are coming from. So that, that that's being a lot of attention online, understandably. Yeah, definitely. I think that song stood out lyrically. Um, I don't know. I, Summer Walker, do you see her like? elevating herself with this i mean it's obviously that the sales are there she's got the fan base does she elevate as an artist to you no no and i don't really know what the ceiling is either because she's already doing the thing yeah get putting up numbers you know so like i don't know like what's next from this you know like i don't i don't i don't this isn't gonna get like critically like super adored by anything then again can she go for some of those R&B Grammy categories? Yeah, she's got a good chance of winning them as anyone else, honestly. So that's great for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. It's like, you look at that feature list. Obviously, Summer Walker is very hip hop, even though she's an R&B singer, like many R&B singers these days. Mm-hmm. I don't see her like rising up to the next level of hip hop in terms of like reverence. But she's still really popular. So, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's hard to see her like blowing up beyond this because her songs don't necessarily lend themselves to, like being hits. You know, like uh, the, the first big hit back in 2018 that took off. Uh, Girls Need Love that took off once Drake hopped on the remix, of course. But like, unless Drake does that again, I, I don't know like like how she would get like a number one song or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean. I already kind of said it, but I don't know if this elevates her as an artist, but I think just she's very popular. She puts out some good tracks like she's going to be successful and around for a while. So definitely uh, stay tuned for her. Um, why don't we move forward, though, to someone else that dropped their sophomore album, Snail Mail, Lindsay Jordan. We reviewed Lush a few years ago. Uh, we liked Lush a lot, you know, uh, pristine, especially, I think stands out from that uh album for me just a uh i think that song is like an absolute masterpiece um and you know snail mail in general i think uh really just in, in the same vein as like someone like soccer mommy i think really talented unique voice um which in the sphere of indie rock women um there's a lot of seeminess you know, and, and not always super interesting sameness. So uh, really appreciating that snail mail always kind of finds something that stands out. Um, Valentine came out the, the single a couple weeks back and man, I freaking loved that song and still love that song. It's definitely vying for the top 10 for me this year. So a lot of hype for me going into this album. I gotta say, I don't think it disappointed. I was pretty impressed with the album as a whole and so now we get the album valentine and dave I, i'm always curious to see where you are at with this <laughs> knowing you're not the biggest indie rock fan in general how did you feel listening to snail mail's valentine yeah so i wasn't like the biggest fan of lush just because i thought it was a little soft for my liking but i was quite impressed with valentine i thought it sounded really great and it's nice to see someone on matador records kind of rise above and stand out because as you said there's a lot of sameness with indie especially uh female indie vocalists right um 
I think uh, some of her label mates, Julian Baker, Lucy Jacobs, everyone's kind of finding their niche, finding their their little corner of indie mm-hmm. and becoming stars uh, in the genre, yeah. right? And snail mail has been a minute, right? So, and yet she's only 22. So very, very impressive. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll watch her career with great interest. And I just thought this was the, like she goes pretty hard on some of these songs. I, I was quite impressed. As you said, the title track, Valentine, that's a hard-ass chorus. You know, the, the, yeah. the, guitar, the guitar goes, you know, she's mm-hmm. jamming out in some of these. So I think there's, there's several tracks that are really nice to, to revisit. Yeah, the, the first two tracks are probably my favorite two tracks on yeah. the whole thing. They both were singles, but Ben Franklin, the bass on that is yes. so like the drum line, plucky, modest, mousy that like I immediately perked up and was like, ooh, and especially switching that or having that right behind Valentine, which just like you said, the chorus goes so hard. The guitar in that Lindsay is just absolutely shredding. Um, it's just like a, a stark switch up, but both songs really, really work. Um, you know, and there, you get a couple of those like uh, typical indie rock ballads that are just like a guitar plucking along, but not many of them. And a lot of the songs vary up and have standout moments from time to time. Um, something like Forever stood out to me a lot. Just like that, like shifting, like percussion in the background. I don't even really know how to explain it, but it's kind of like but like it's drums somehow i'm not even sure exactly what's going on there but i really liked it um i liked madonna a lot um another i think I believe that was another single off this but the guitar in that is just really good and Lindsay obviously came up as a guitarist and um i think what lush did was kind of show that she's just she's more than just a performer in terms of guitar and can actually make some great songs and seems to be leveling up on this so uh yeah really really pleasurable album to listen to what other tracks stood out to you yeah, the only the only track i really like didn't care for was light blue just because it's obviously like the slow song on the album yeah but I I, I, everything else too. other than that is at a much higher tempo faster tempo and usually has like really like big drums or like noticeable guitar so like it, it, it everything keeps your attention like uh, a song like glory the guitar just comes in right away you know it's just it's nice and, mm. and loud in a good way. Um, I also liked Forever, as you mentioned. And yeah, Ben Franklin, man, like that one two to start. Uh, up there with many the one two many good one twos this year. Like it, it's it's really great. Honestly, this really? is probably one of my uh, favorite indie rock albums in a lot in a while, honestly. Like in terms of like front to back, liking just about everything. Yeah. I really love her vocal delivery all throughout this. It's kind of like like she's like every word is kind of all one word somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, especially on a song like Ben Franklin, like that course, like, nah, 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 nah. like it just is like so good the way she does it. I feel like no one really sings exactly like that. And it's so distinct and really, really works. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm really impressed with her, man. And I, I hope we continue to see her uh, working and putting stuff out. Cause you know, we, we talk a lot about, that space and you mentioned how each person's kind of finding their own but like you had to say phoebe bridgers is probably like the one right now in the space but Lindsay feels like she's making a real push and soccer mommy i felt like had the crown for a, a time i mean 
really we don't need to compare them and say like one's better than the other but i think just in terms of popularity mm. or who i feel is making the most interesting stuff it feels like those are the three that i keep coming back to a lot but. yeah yeah i mean julian baker you know really really sad tough tough for me to get into uh, a re- revisit all the time you know um that's not to say that there's not emotion on valentine i mean if you listen to ben franklin brief reference to Lindsay being in rehab about a year ago mm-hmm. um tough to hear that from someone so young but uh conversely it seems like she was able to find inspiration to write this album I mean, again it's, it's been several years since the debut and she's so young you would have thought we would have had the second album sooner and yet going back to her childhood bedroom kind of brought the best out of her and got her writing again very similar to how Claro's uh, most recent album came, came to be recently you know pandemic and going back home seemed to work out uh, well creatively so obviously snail mail uh, top of the list in terms of uh, people to pay attention to you know there's, there's a lot of names as you as you just said but um, to make this at only 22 is quite impressive yeah absolutely um, again check out our nostalgia best of 2021 playlist where we'll probably be throwing ben franklin on there it sounds like valentine is already on that um dave a24 though man they make good stuff uh a film i didn't get to souvenir part two but you did and so i wanted to just kind of pick your thoughts as it wasn't released in many theaters right 15 theaters this past weekend after three the previous weekend so a very platform uh, intentionally limited release from a 24. And we, we both, I think really, I, I wouldn't say really liked, but I think we appreciated and found the souvenir from 2019 to be a really competently made um, film that also just, I, I think surprised me for just how like gutting it felt at times. And especially with um, uh, who was the Sarah? Honor, Honor Swinton Byrne, obviously, giving uh, one of her first like star performances. So right. did part two live up to the souvenir part one? Yeah, so, I mean, it stands out right away as one of the rare indie film sequels, right? It's yeah. not, not, not something we, we think of all that much, right? I guess you have, like, Link, uh, Linklater's before trilogy comes to mind. But mm-hmm. other than that, they're, they're rare right but also like a sequel to the souvenir interesting like you said it's a movie that is definitely impressive but like you gotta like really get absorbed in like what's going on thematically in a movie like that you know it's uh it, it's very specific uh, you know joanna hogg semi-autobiographical tale about a young woman in 80s london going to film school while also falling in love it's uh you know and i think the key difference though would be that um you know spoilers for the souvenir but uh tom burke's character uh dies at the end right he ods on on heroin he's a heroin addict souvenir part two picks us right up with where souvenir part one ends and it's uh what was her name julie honestly burns character just kind of yep uh dealing with that fallout while also preparing to make her student film that she had talked about in the first film 
Uh, and I think what's really fascinating about this movie is how that there's a key change uh, from movie one to two, where Julie kind of scraps her original film plan and decides to basically recreate the plot of the souvenir part one for her Ooh. student film within the souvenir part two. Very Ooh. like meta thing going on here. Yeah. And, you know, for her film, uh, she creates the set of the apartment of which we spent all that time in, in part one. So if you remember the souvenir, you'll be very like kind of whisked back to what's going on. And it, it's pretty fascinating, you know, like having her be this director trying to tell her young performers, her colleagues and like her, her crew how to make her vision happen that just had happened to her in her real life, you know, like weeks prior in the story. And, you know, in terms of like coming of age, like it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating, like way to close the loop uh, on this and Joanna Hogg and kind of like reimagining uh, how her film career could have went. She did not start making movies too much older in life. Obviously, Julie getting a movie made as a film student very different paths here and yeah just the whole like kind of like memoirness of it it's it's definitely different than the first one because again like you don't have that tom burke presence so you don't have this like key relationship kind of butting heads and and blossoming and then you know fading out like you don't have any of that it's very like postscript of the first movie so it's it's definitely i think a must watch if you've seen the souvenir and uh, it's it's quite audacious and you know uh, ballsy to approach it. I guess a sequel in this manner. Uh, at one point, Robert Pattinson was supposed to have a role in this movie. He had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. He was replaced with Charlie Heaton. Uh, ends up being a small role. Um, Heaton's fine, good enough. But I mean, obviously, Rob would have elevated his you know ten minutes in the movie, as we know. Yeah. Uh, Joe Alwyn also has a, a small scene in this, but. Um, you know, a lot uh, rested on Honor Swinburne's shoulders because she doesn't have Tom Burke sharing so many scenes with her. So it's a lot of mm-hmm. Julie kind of emoting or not emoting, right? So like the movie, both these movies, they don't really tell you how to feel about things. You kind of got to like go with it, You're, uh, go with the journey and, and be an active participant, right? So yeah. definitely not for everyone, obviously, but Souvenir Part 2, I mean... I didn't really have any expectations going in because it's like a movie when the, sequ- the sequel was announced. I was like, oh, huh, interesting. Yeah. And then Pattinson got attached and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's fascinating movie, honestly. You know, I, I, I think I, I really appreciate and think it's a brilliant idea to have her uh, make, like making the story of the first one uh, in the second part because it's almost like her or basically is her exploring her trauma in like a very like tangible way you know which exactly is, uh, obviously just a really interesting and intriguing plot device so um love that writing can't wait to check it out um sounds like you give it a at least a watchable mark so i'm mm. excited to see what we get there i'm actually a little more excited to hear what you thought about spencer uh another movie that you got to this weekend that i wasn't able to which it, from my understanding, documents a weekend where uh, where 
Diana, Prince of Wales, Princess of Wales. Um, is that how she was, Princess of Wales, right? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, where Princess Diana was away for the weekend with uh, Charles and the rest of the royal family. And it's kind of like these, like, what, three days or something like that away. And, of course, I think Princess Diana, I don't give much of a fuck about the royals, to be honest. But Diana, obviously, I think is more interesting to us, uh, you know, the her lore and her um, persona, I think, um, out uh, outlives a lot of the, the negatives about them. And cause she seems to be kind of a, of her own person, uh, apart from the whole royal hubaloo um hullabaloo i mean to say <laughs> right and this is being tapped as a potential oscar worthy performance from Kristen stewart of uh twilight fame obviously yeah. doing a lot more since then but <laughs> yeah she'll probably never get fully out of that shadow did you find this to be worthy of an oscar nomination yes yeah, Kristen wow. Stewart's absolutely tremendous in this movie. Definitely a Best Actress nominee. I'd say Locke at this point. Locke. Judging what the field looks like, judging what people are saying, Kristen Stewart's going to be nominated. Whether she wins, too early to say. But I think she, it, there's so much momentum for her with this role because it's a great performance. And, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned Twilight. People used to say it's a Robert Pattinson as well, but they both have been making lots of really good and or at least very interesting choices since they left that franchise when it ended you know we, we've gotten shades of Kristen Stewart in Personal Shopper and even the movie that's not super great like Seabird well you can tell like there are real chops here there's real uh, intention with with her choices and to pair up with Pablo Lorraine the Chilean filmmaker who recently made Jackie about Jackie Kennedy with Nally Portman to pair up with Pablo Lorraine and make one of these singular biopics in a sense, again, uh, for Lorraine's part, very impressive, but also really smart, I'd say. And just as a quick bookend, people have been saying this recently, Lorraine is the one to do the Britney movie. Because he has done the chops. He has done the work. He has demonstrated that he can handle a public female figure who has had a tough go of it and a complicated relationship with the press. Uh, I think, obviously, we, we'll, need, we'll need a lot of time before that movie comes to be, but that would be pretty interesting. I was um, going to say, who plays Brittany? Uh, Sydney Sweeney at this point? Yeah, I'm not even ready to ready to think about that part yet, but we have the director. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, um, this is set in I believe like 91, 92 Christmas time at a, a Sandrangan house, which is a royal property that they, they they go there every Christmas holiday. It's a tradition. And, Spencer is a Christmas movie. Interesting, Dave. <laughs> right, and um, this is several years before Diana's untimely passing but well into uh, the fallout uh, of her relationship with Charles. It's gone cold. He's been cheating on her with Camilla. So like that's hanging over the movie at this point. And the key thing with though, this is not like a traditional biopic. It is a, like a psychological biopic. Kristen Stewart is in every scene of this movie. She's carrying everything. And it's basically just about her experience with, uh, just 
finding a way to get through a weekend with the family, you know, in a sense, a bit relatable if you loathe uh, the holidays with your relatives, because that's exactly what this is. This Uh, is a real Christmas movie then. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. And, but like Stuart is so great because she's just, she's conveying uh, both, you know, light, like manicness about Diana in terms of how she was struggling with what was going on, the way it's, uh, you know, the way it's been told, the way it's been interpreted. But also on the other hand, she's like almost, it's a very self-aware uh, performance as like, she you knows she kind of has to perform for the family uh, and just kind of just get through it. Cause she, you know, she does really love her kids and the way they portray the toxicity of stupid customs and traditions of the royals however mundane they might be the way they portray that just through uh diana's like interactions and like rationalizations about what's going on it's really uh really well done you know it's like a she she does a great job of communicating with the claustrophobic nature of just being in the house and kind of being feeling like she's being watched by uh the help you know and they're, they're, they're kind of like they're snitching on her and, and and all that it's it, it's really i think it's really cool and you know you, you look at like the audience polling it's not like super positive and i think that's because again it's like a psychological movie um it's, it's not like it, it's probably not the diana movie a lot of people want to see quote unquote you know and then we got emma corin in the crown we're about to get elizabeth vicky in the crown on netflix that's probably more of like the pulpy drama this is what happened see it dramatized right this is not really that. And I think it's really impressive, honestly. Um, some of the best scenes are Stuart with her kids, you know, young William, young Harry. Um, it, it's really great. You know, a lot was made uh, of, of the voice, of her Diana voice, just the way a lot of people talked about Portman's uh, Jackie voice, right? I think the voice is totally fine uh, as Diana. You know, she doesn't, I guess she doesn't really look like Princess Diana all that much but the performance is is awesome you know i mean she starts seeing visions of anne boleyn you know and seeing the parallel in terms of anne boleyn's relationship uh to henry VIII or whoever it was and uh you know her relationship to what's going on there's a lot going on but i i think i think it's it's really well done you know this is written by stephen knight who definitely has an up and down uh track record as a screenwriter but um i think it's another Another home run for Neon, you know, obviously they've been crushing it lately in terms of making awards movies. And um, there's a lot of uh, parallels you can see with what we know about how Meghan Markle had a go of it uh, with the Royals. You know, you can kind of see some of that um, and and just subtly in the way this movie's going on. So uh, Stuart's definitely the main attraction and why you should want to see this. But in the movie itself, a little more high minded than you might you might expect so uh, i definitely recommend spencer uh, i can't wait to check it out uh definitely wanted to get to it just didn't work out for me uh you know just looking through the cast list um seeing sally hawkins someone i haven't really thought about since 2017 yeah. with the shape of water uh how, how much was she in the movie yeah so she, she's actually quite good she has a s- small role supporting role as one of like the dressers of diana mm-hmm. like the people that help her uh, put on her clothes, and get ready, get ready for breakfast or whatever event they're doing, you know, 
but like it's just their conversations. It's just a few conversations directly between them. Uh, tremendous, you know, and some of, some of the best writing, you know, like and um, Hawkins' character is kind of like helping Diana like get through that part of her day, however mm-hmm. she might have been feeling. So yeah, she's great. Uh, Timothy Small has a important uh, role as like this figure in the house working for the Royals trying to keep everything on time and keep it going right custom wise and uh, he kind of has this like lording uh, almost creepy nature to him hmm. but it's never like overdone I think it's it's an important role in the film people have, obviously Tim Stahl's been a lot of things you might recognize him as Peter Pettigrew and Harry Potter yeah. Um, yeah he was quite good I mean um the guy who plays Charles, the woman who plays uh, Queen Elizabeth, they're, they're, they have very few lines, honestly. They're really barely in the movie. It's Honestly, it's really mm-hmm. just Kristen Stewart. Almost every scene. Nice. Well, I, I can't wait to check it out. Definitely uh, it sounds like we're going to be talking about her a lot more as the awards races ramp up. So uh, check out Spencer. Drop your thoughts below if you're um, watching on YouTube and if you've seen it. I think a movie that a lot more people are going to have seen, though, Dave, is uh, Heart of the Fall, a uh, movie by, uh, I want to make sure I say this right, Jameis Samuel. Uh, I think it might might just be James Sam- Samuel. Not yes, sure. sure. The brother um, of Seal. Yeah, and also a, uh, an, a music artist himself. Uh, right. Goes by the name The Bullets, which is a very interesting name, especially given the nature of this movie, which is a, a revisionist Western. And I mean, there's a lot to like if it, or a lot to sell people on for this movie. I mean, just the cast alone, Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, right there. How, how are you not just bought in? <laughs> but like then it being this this Western uh, the way it's shot is kind of like it feels like the old westerns like you kind of feel like you're on the movie set a lot of the time and like i don't know it felt like very like real to me <laughs> a lot of ways at times um i think there's some interesting choices that at points took me out of the movie but overall i was really impressed with this and had a great time what did you think of the heart of they fall yeah, I had a great time as well. Obviously, the cast is the main attraction, as you you'd like you'd expect when you read it, and it plays a lot of the hits you expect from Western films. But it's just done in a really uh, effective way. It's it's you know it's, it's stylized in a sense. You have modern music, you have modern dialogue, and yet it all just really works. You know, I, I don't think it's like a transcendent Western by any means, but it's just really well done and uh, a great time i think uh, key as well so you know most people probably are invested in many of these performers at this point and i think just about everyone acquits themselves uh, pretty well so it's it's a great time and in terms of a netflix film i mean it's 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 one of their finest honestly yeah i completely agree with that um you know it, it's hard for me to watch this movie and not think back to Django Unchained just because mm. I feel like so much of the stylization of it, obviously the um, like Midwest uh, shooter vibe, but also I think just like the goriness of it, because this film is really, really gory. Um, I think that that works for me at times and feels a bit overdone at times, 
you know, uh, I'm not a big a big fan of uh, animal animals dying in films. And right in the beginning, you see a horse just get shot right in the head. And I was like, oh god, need that cover, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought the action sequences were were really really fun, um, especially the the final one. But the the train sequence was cool. Little uh, cool. Uh, Chadwick yes. Boseman Easter egg there on the side of the train. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I appreciate them paying respects. Um, you know, why don't we start though with just I think the overall performances. Like, was there anyone in this film that you feel like really stood out to you in terms of the performance that they gave? Yeah, I'd say for like the top end people, it's like it's none of like their best roles uh, by any chance, but they all just kind of bring a a level of confidence, uh, a, a stature that you expect and it's all done pretty well if anyone I'd say rj seiler probably stood out to me who's someone you know he's he's popped up in the, in the past like um mural and the dying girl he was in the power rangers reboot mm-hmm. that uh, didn't go anywhere he's been around you know but he gets an, uh, he gets the chew on being a guy who can't shut up and lo- loves to, to showboat you know uh, it was a really fun character yeah he he was really fun um I mean, hated the way he died, uh, but uh, it definitely hammers home why you're supposed to hate Lakeith Stanfield's character. Um, so really uh, appreciate Bill. that. Yep. Um, I thought Lakeith really stood out in this. He just seemed to be having the best time, man. Just being this slimy, backstabbing, fastest gun in the West type guy, but really only because he's a piece of shit and doesn't follow any of the unwritten rules of these <laughs> duels um sure yeah but i i really liked him i thought he stood out yeah. um i, I also know- thought go ahead. Oh, go ahead i just really, really like like zazzy beats as well um mm. you know I, I feel like a lot of the roles we've seen her in um outside of atlanta have been a bit one note um and she just got to do a lot in this movie and it also kind of seems like they're setting up a potential sequel that may be more focused around her um mm. moving forward so uh, hoping we get something like that. Um, but just uh, those two really stood out to me. What were you going to say, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, Lakeith, I really liked his presence in particular because he, he managed to bring, like, the, the veteran savvy that's supposed to be with his character. I, I like that. It's a little different uh, spin than we've gotten from some of his characters recently. Uh, I agree about Zazie Beats. Nice to see her just have a little more to do honestly um you know regina king kind of overqualified for for her uh her role but again you could tell she was having a nice time gets to scrap with zazie at the end that's fun uh i'd say jonathan majors he's he's still absolutely shredded since defy bloods dude looks great and just uh just happy to see him uh leading a movie because uh he's a stud and uh, We've been invested only a few years now, but he's just had such a rapid rise. It's awesome to see. Uh, again, he went from being nominated for a breakthrough actor performance for Last Black Man in San Francisco to playing the next Marvel Big Bad in like a year and a half. It's been quite the rise for the guy. Uh, but ha- happy, happy to see him just you know add this to the belt, you know, because it's it's fun. If anything, I don't know if you had this, but some of his vocal delivery, I was like, I couldn't quite tell what he was saying. Like he was really like, yeah. like. Like, like trying to like like give himself a bit of an accent and I feel like some of the lines I couldn't quite quite grasp sometimes 
yeah it felt like his he was almost like uh like hissing his words or like i don't know like they got jumbled almost but Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that i actually really liked idris in this it felt a bit like his stringer bell performance in a way um which is always fun you know it's kind of like menacing but also not like not like too in your face except for probably the scene where he beats the shit out of the mayor or whoever that was brutal (laughs) i mean yeah really brutal um did you see the the twist coming at the end i didn't know no and that that's probably one of my issues with the film is that twist just comes way too late to make like a strong impact it doesn't really like if that twist didn't happen the ending is fundamentally the same Mm -hmm. the character feels the same way you feel the same way about what you've seen i felt i felt it just kind of came a little late to, to to make an impact but I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I I agree. I, it would have almost been nice if he had get if you had uh, Jonathan Major's character uh, Nat Love get that information before he chose to go and save Zazie Beats. Um, only because I think it would have he still would have gone, but obviously how they would have gone about it may have changed. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of like, ah, you don't really get a chance to process. And even at the end, it seems like he's still processing, you know, when Zazie right. asks him, is the devil dead? And he says, I don't know. So that that's kind of what leads me to believe there's probably a sequel coming of some sort, you know, in, in the uh, prior to um, some some delays in production due to COVID. Cynthia Revo, Wesley Snipes and Sterling K, Sterling K. Brown were supposed to be in it. So maybe we'll get them in a sequel huh. of some sort. I would really love that um yeah i mean what other moments stood out i really liked the train scene a lot i thought like just uh stylistically the colors in that really popped out like blues and stuff and then obviously you get an awesome entrance from idris coming out of that uh cell (laughs) just like walking out um the standoff was great too what else stood out to you though yeah i mean i think thematically there's some cool things going on Uh, many of these characters are technically people from real life people from the old west uh and it's kind of like a mishmash of bringing all these people together that were you know like i think indian territory and kind of all over the place really post civil war old west time Mm -hmm. and in in a sense it's cool but also like none of like the actual traits or histories of these characters really seem to factor into the story we have we just kind of like gave them names and treated them like action figures almost you know Mm -hmm. but i think it is cool to see this movie get made because it's not like a revisionist western at all it's actually just reminding people that there were lots of other kinds of cowboys beyond the traditional white cowboy we think of from john wayne john ford you know just because we didn't really get movies about these cowboys all that much doesn't mean they weren't there there were lots of black cowboys and lots of uh, native cowboys as well just just see a, a black cowboy story there's, there's really yeah. nothing fictional about it. You know, it's just something we haven't gotten, unfortunately, enough of at this time. On the other side of that, I loved the white town scene. I thought that was mm. awesome. Visual gag is hilarious. It's literally a white town with a white yeah. sand. Production design immaculate. But just, mm-hmm. yeah, just a really charming uh, bang robbery scene on the major's part. Yeah, sometimes our taste is too similar because I, I love that speech he gives where he says, uh, he's like, says something like, oh, uh, I, I love your eyes, blue eyes, or something like that, with like a little like <laughs> sly grin. And then he's like, you're handshaking, you're scared, 
you're gonna miss <laughs> just like talks him through like why he's just let him walk out just like a really awesome scene um and also yeah cuffy uh, i really liked cuffy's yes. character um obviously played by oop just had it and i lost it um sorry danielle uh deadweiler who hasn't had a lot of roles so i think this is gonna be a nice look for for them um but yeah I, I, that that scene definitely stood out stylistically but also for a great major scene but it really the, the whole film is pretty fun i think the one scene that really just felt out of place for me and didn't work uh was just the lead up to zazzy's interaction with uh with buck um rufus buck where like that woman in like the really blue paint was dancing around and like i was i was just like i'm not really sure what's why this is in here or what's going on <laughs> just felt like they wanted to do some weird stylistic stuff to make it feel like the city is or weird underneath his rule. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't have a lot of moments like that. So overall, I think this is definitely one that to ch- uh, tune into on Netflix. So um, definitely check it out. But David, I think it's time to talk about Marvel. Once again, Marvel's back, baby with Eternals and uh, man, I guess when you just look at it at at, at face, I'm trying to decide how to go about this. I think looking at it at face, right? You start with the most recent winner of the best director award at the um, Oscars in Chloe Zhao. Um, You get a stacked cast, absolutely stacked cast, Gemma Chan, um, who what was the movie with uh that she was in earlier this year let them all talk the end of 2020 so yes thank you oh that was that was 2020 wow december Um, yeah richard madden bodyguard game of thrones an actor that maybe bond yeah we we tapped to potentially be bond soon kumail ripped kumail yes um (laughs) brian tyree henry uh barry keegan the the young king Yes. Um, Angelina Jolie doing yeah, another Kit franchise. Harrington? Selma Hayek. I mean, yep. you get Don Lee, get big some, Korean star. Right. Yeah. You get some big star power here. So, you know, on the surface, it feels like there's a lot of good ingredients here. This recipe is going to be delicious. And then we finally got to take a bite. And Dave, what'd you think? I didn't like Eternals too much. It, mm. it, it's not like terrible but it's clearly the worst of the three marvel films that came out this year and there's been a lot of talk about this right the 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 worst reviewed marvel movie on rotten tomatoes the worst cinema score of an mcu film right and i have some thoughts about that too but ultimately i think it's just a ambition versus execution issue is what felled eternals where Everything they tried to achieve, a lot of it kind of outside the traditional MCU mold. Unfortunately, not enough of it actually works well enough to make the movie good. And it's just kind of a big swing, but it's, it's, it's more or less a whiff. So not that I wasn't entertained throughout large parts of it, but I just think it uh, doesn't really come together in the way it needed to. Yeah, it, it felt like they were just doing too much to me in this movie. Um... You know, it's an origin story, obviously telling the story of the Eternals. It starts with a scroll, which 
I never see as like a very good sign for a movie if you have to do that much downloading before you start the downloading in an origin film, but also one of the best uh, origin films or first films of all time, Star Wars, uh, New Hope did that. So, I mean, uh, it, it can be done well. Um, it's it's very like high concept. You know, we're not really dealing with superheroes as much as we are gods and Greek gods with even higher Greek gods above them. Um and the idea that like planets birth these celestials is a bit out there. So th- there's some hard stuff to sell. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's a love story. It's, uh, you know, s- stopping the world from apocalypse story. Uh, it's a Superman story. It's a Greek God story. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it touches on a lot of history. Um, and some, some very delicate times in history. I think we'll touch on that a little bit more in a second. And so then you think about all these different actors and all, what they're all good at. And it's like, how do you really get a movie with Kumail and Richard Madden, who are on two very different wavelengths in this movie, and get it all to work? And it just feels very, very difficult. And I actually think my, my biggest critique of this movie is just... Uh, the plot device of the deviants, right? So it's basically set up that the cele- the Eternals are created by the Celestials to stop the deviants from killing beings on different planets and, to, and the Eternals are sent to protect them. Um, the deviant is the main villain of the movie up until about the last, what, 40 minutes? And then it's just like, he shows up one more time and it's like, okay, deviants are, are done now. Don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, just really get like an angel, a cool Angelina scene, and then yeah, they're they're gone. And I just was like, oh, this is really tough because this feels kind of like the whole idea for the whole movie is that a lot of it just feels like it was baked almost to perfection, and then just big pile of crap on the ground. Sorry, right. I don't know. Really uh, hated the deviant stuff. Also, didn't think they looked that cool. Uh, just my own thing, but no, you know, I mean, do they ever? That's the thing about the deviants. They're just kind of CGI cannon fathered the way other CGI character things are CGI cannon fathered. There's nothing special mm-hmm. or new about them, right? And a lot of people who are defending the film are remarking on like how, you know, the movie tries to be different and you just don't like things that are different. Oh, all MCU movies are the same, but yet when you get something different, you don't actually like it. But I kind of call BS on this because you wanted to do something different. What if this movie didn't have deviance at all? Right. You know? Remember when Barry Keown, Druid, one of the actual best mm-hmm. characters in the film, remember when he starts getting really philosophical for just a second, but then he can't because the movie has to keep going with the plot. Yep. There was a far more interesting story somewhere in here. If we had maybe even removed the deviance entirely, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of my problem is you have this team of 10 Eternals plus Kit Harrington's character. And then you have this never-ending plot. It is constant plot. There's almost no scene that isn't plot. Mm-hmm. You can't service these characters. You can't foster these relationships in, in that amount of time. It's just the movie does not give space for it to happen. And it, again, it's, it's a big shame because what you do get of these characters, a lot of times it's just kind of archetypes, but like there was something there. You know, They actually were you know, colored in a little bit and like oh I, w- I would like to learn more about this person but there's just no time and 
that like conflict, as you said, the conflict of the story really just drops. It's oh, we don't yeah. have to fight the deviants anymore. We have to uh, control each other. Uh, you know, yeah, to, and to stop do... Superman. Right, but it, didn't were you surprised when the uh, you know the deviant starts as as we as he starts killing people? Right, Sama Hayek is we, we learn how she gets killed, and Gilgamesh Don Lee's character gets killed. The deviants. Uh, became self-aware as a, as a, our celestial uh, daddy told us right and yet <laughs> as they get self-aware and more and more powerful right uh, i think it's bill skarsgård's playing it with mocap right he starts talking this main deviant right mm-hmm. like what, what the fuck happened you would have thought he would have actually joined our good eternals and fought icarus at the end based off what he had said an hour ago where he's like we just want to survive you kept trying to hunt us all down right why the fuck are you teaming up with Icarus then? Didn't make any yeah. sense to me. I thought I thought like they just didn't figure out what they wanted to do with it. They just kind of threw it away, you know, having him die in the cave. Like it just didn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not even him versus the Eternals. It's him versus Thena. It's basically like, oh, Thena gets a cool scene before, you know, as her redemption, you know, because she's, uh, she has, what was it called? Like the mad weight or something like that something yeah basically she has too much experience as an eternal on these planets that her memories are kind of frying her brain basically mad something i forget what it's called yeah she's she's gone crazy and wants to hurt other eternals and um just can't control herself basically yeah and i i actually really liked some of the stuff that happened around that her and don lee together i thought was very like cute um nice like used a lot more of it though Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I could have used a lot more of uh, Druig with uh, Makari. I thought, honestly, when you when you look at the relationship and the, that leads the movie, there's no chemistry between Richard Mad and, and Gemma Chan. You get about twenty to thirty minutes of Barry Keegan and uh, Lauren Ridloff uh, mm-hmm. together at the end of the movie, and you're like, Ooh, yeah, something's going on here." Um, but to to bring it back. Yeah, I I really feel like they basically just were like, ah, we don't really know how to wrap this up. We're just going to have them go in this cave, fuck with Dina and have her redemption here. Cool. All right. But yeah, it doesn't didn't make any sense. Um, it also, like you said, the stuff with Druig, I, was, I thought that's where the movie was going for a second. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really fascinating, especially when you see that Brian Tyree Henry probably would have been on his side after his response to... Um, sitting in the ruins of Hiroshima, right? Which let's let's just talk about that real quick. Hmm. What the fuck, man? Like, I mean, I don't think it's as egregious as some people have been frying it, but like, same. It's a really tough choice, and especially coming from a an Asian director or hmm. a director of, of Asian descent, she, uh, it almost feels just like did did she think this all the way? Was it was she kind of like told she needed to do this by the Marvel machine? It just felt unnecessary. You know, um, I feel like, like you could have had him sitting anywhere and having a conversation about how his technology has ruined countless lives, killed countless people, but to have him actually in the ashes of Hiroshima is just really, really tough. What was your thoughts around that? Yeah. I'm not like super, super offended by it. But it's heavy-handed, at the at the very least, yeah. you know. In general, a lot of things are heavy-handed, you know. True, true. They, they they're like, oh well, we don't have a whole lot of time 
to convey this. So we'll just do a very quick montage with Brian Diary Henry and get it over with, you know, that's kind of how it came across to me, honestly. And in the process, you do something that might not be quite as tasteful as you want, even if it's, you know, a fictional film. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, just kind of like moving to some of the other problems with the movie and then we should get to some stuff that we like. I wanted mm-hmm. to go back to the stuff with Richard Madden and, and Gemma Chan, right? So there, uh, Gemma Chan plays Cersei, who is the main character of this, gets chosen to lead the Eternals after Selma Hayek's Ajax is killed by a deviant. And Icarus is the, uh, well, who people expected to be the next leader. He's the Superman character. He doesn't wear yes. a cape. They actually, you know, pointed this out in the movie that he is Superman. <laughs> which yeah. is kind of crazy. <laughs> like, name dropped like, Batman okay. too. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Um, and and uh, obviously, if, if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers, um, but Richard Madden ends up wanting the implosion of the Earth to have the Celestial yeah. born to happen so that they can move on. His Their original purpose he's committed to. Exactly. And while the rest of the group is not. And so... Uh, their love is supposed to be a driving force in this. You're supposed to really care about this relationship. I gotta say, man, I did not feel it at all. Um, and I think it's because both of them present as like fairly flat for a lot of the movie. Um, obviously, they had gone through a breakup prior to the events of this, and Jim and Chan is pursuing Kit Harrington, uh, who's what's this character's name? Dame Dane uh, Whitman. Yeah, the, the Black Knight. I, I believe is like come. yeah, the Black Knight exactly. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot going into it. Did you feel like they had interesting or at least like convincing chemistry? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can get over that. I think partially because they're both really nice to look at <laughs> as they actors, are. you know. But again, there's no fucking time. Like they don't have time <laughs> to have any chemistry because they don't get to fucking talk to each other. It's just plot, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just annoying, man. I mean, I fuck. We got our first Marvel sex scene. Yeah. In a sense, a big deal because Marvel's obviously been very sexless despite having, you know, quote, sexy people in it. It's been, as you said, they they picked two really good people to have it with. I mean, yeah, it's chest up. I don't have a problem with it being very, very PG. It's a Marvel (laughs) movie. It's this kid scene. That's no problem. But like, they don't, they don't actually seem to, to really pay it off. You know, it's it's a little, still a little underwhelming. Um, honestly, Brian Tyree Henry's relationship with like an unnamed character, his unnamed husband, which obviously is infuriated some, uh, you know, smooth brain folk that have a problem with this. I thought that relationship was actually conveyed in a, in a, in a pretty good way, for, given yeah. how quickly it was done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Icarus and Cersei, I mean. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I was like barely, barely paying attention to it because they were they were split, but also because I had to focus on the mission at hand, you know, the whole mm-hmm. time. So, right. Again, like if a different screenplay, different twist on this with all these parts. I just feel like we could have got somewhere better. Yeah. Well, and I think it is it, the reason I bring up that chemistry is because obviously at the end, as they're trying to stop the celestial's birth. Um, Cersei is able to use the energy or the force or the powers of the other Celestials to basically halt this thing from happening. 
and Richard Madden's Icarus Unimind. Right. And and Icarus gets to the point where he can stop her and because of his love for her um, is is unable to or not able to use his powers at that moment. In fact, she does save the world. Surprise, surprise for Marvel movie. Um, You know, just in that moment, it's like it's supposed to really hit you that like love is really overcoming this like belief system that you know it's saving the world in some senses is supposed to be i think the overall message and i'm just like really (laughs) i was like yo you you, you're gonna go all hot oh outlander highlander whoever from the boys and just like cut this this girl up right now like in any other scenario would have because i just didn't buy it but i thought that ending was kind of of lame honestly you know and part of the ending you have um Come on, Johnny's character, uh, Kingo, decide, you know, I kind of agree with Icarus. I'm not going to fight you guys because I like you, but I kind of think our mission makes sense. You know what? Honestly, I'm glad someone else had that point of view. The problem is he kind of just drops it and dips. Like you could have sown the seeds about these two choices a little earlier, you know, but they don't. So it's yeah. frustrating. I have a question. Was like Kingo's powers able to be used in the one mind? Like, because it, it seems like wasn't um, wasn't Sprite's powers used, even if she was against them yeah, stopping Sprite's the Sprite's powers were used, and I was kind of a little confused about how that worked, too. Yeah. Um, in, in general, I kind of had this thought early on, and this is not a problem Marvel or really any superhero movie usually has. Some of the Eternals' powers were just kind of undefined, like the way we start watching the movie. Like, like so, some of them, you know, make sense, right? Like, like uh, Icarus, okay, he's Superman, or he's Cyclops and he flies. I got it. Mm-hmm. Makari, she's the Flash. Got it. Druid, he controls people's minds. Cool. But like, Cersei, Kingo, Fastos, Gilgamesh. I'm like, all right, so Gilgamesh, he just he's just strong. He makes like a fist thing and. Athena, her power, she makes weapons. Weapons, like, and is a good fighter. And, and and Fastos in particular is like he's smart with technology in a magical sense. Like I, I wasn't really sure what what they did. And Kingo just shoots yeah. things out of his hands. That that's what it is. Like I don't care. It's just it's just weird that it was kind of vague. This is not yeah. and it's especially weird that it's vague when there's ten characters that have this question or t- ten that might have the question. You know, including your lead. Who, I mean, I get that she's supposed to be ex- discovering that her powers are much stronger than she even realized. Obviously, she takes a deviant, or I shouldn't say obviously, she takes a deviant underwater and makes him into a tree. And everybody's like, I didn't know you could make people into a tree. And that was like a huge thing, which I was like, why is this such a big deal? Like, <laughs> she just made a deviant into a tree. Like, I don't know. I think there's like worse ways to kill somebody. Uh, maybe better powers. I don't know. But anyways... Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's like King, Kingo can shoot power from his hands, and Brian Tyree Henry is just really smart. Got a 1600 on his SATs. Like, uh, <laughs> all right, I don't know. Very strange. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like a lot of that was just like kind of yada yada. Um, and then, you know, you, you, we have Ajax. We haven't even talked about Sama Hayek in this. Mm. First of all, love Sama Hayek. Yeah. Oh, an OG uh favorite of uh a young pat sheen just wanted to say that so um Selma hayek always on the top of my list um angelina i thought she was great as well oh well there there we go um 
I thought she was a great presence. Uh, I thought I could have used a little bit more of her in the movie, honestly. Mm. I thought when she was kind of leading the group, obviously her knowledge of what was actually going on, I would have liked to have seen her like have these conversations with um, Richard Madden's Icarus and like have them discuss like their feelings. Or even Arishim or something, just so we know as the audience. Exactly. And uh, I felt like her death was just kind of like looked over. She looked like the Wicked Witch of the West. I don't know if that was intentional, <laughs> but I was like, man, you just really going to turn her green? Like, what the hell? I don't know. I just feel like she was, she didn't get enough, enough time mm-hmm. for me. But like you said, we had a lot to get to. So yeah, I cut something. I mean, I mean, I was feeling that way, you know, when she dies, at least you got that, that flashback when you find out how she actually died. I do like, like the heel turn. I like the twist. Uh, with Icarus at least to like kind of spice it up you know again problems still continue but yeah I mean I guess on the other hand you have you have the world building aspect to this right how the Eternals watch over everyone for 7,000 years so in the process we get to see like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and we see them in uh uh yeah you know the uh the Mayans Mexico. right yeah. yeah or um the Aztecs or however that was being being killed by the Spanish, whatever's going on. And you know, that's cool to think about, right? I also liked how they like wove it in, right? It's like, oh, the Greeks have their names for their gods literally because Athena is there, right? And the Epic of Gilgamesh is because Sprite literally told a story named after her buddy Gilgamesh. I loved all that mm-hmm. shit. That's awesome. Um Icarus flying too close I to agree. the sun, you know? He literally flew that. into the sun. He literally flew into yeah. the sun at the end. Come on. Yeah. I was like, I already yeah. got it. I already got it. You didn't have to actually have to kill himself that way, though. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you have to kill himself? Just fly off. Save I thought he was flying off and we'd see him again in Guardians yeah. 3 or some shit, you know? He probably just didn't want to keep doing it uh, or something. I don't know. Why not? It's fine. But yeah, but I, I don't I agree. Big I, with that, but I, I think most of the history was really cool except for the Hiroshima thing. But like, I thought it was cool to see them like um, exploring prehistoric time and like going through history as they uncover this stuff. I loved that. The the dinosaurs, the asteroid actually was just a bunch of deviants raining from the sky to kill them. Right. Cool. Yeah. Um, what other parts of the movie did work for you? What else did you like? Yeah. So, I mean, when you have uh, Chloe Zhao directing this film, as you mentioned, just one best director, someone famed for her use of natural light and also famed for her use of uh non-professional actors for the most part but you know that that was a really i think you know ballsy but kind of sends a message as a form of you know director choice because marvel doesn't have hasn't had a good track record with auteurs in terms of letting them go until of course that finally changed right Ryan Coogler with Black Panther, Tycho with Thor 3, James Gunn with the Guardians films. It's kind of let us forget about Edgar Wright's uh, problems when leading him to walk away from the first Ant-Man movie, right? But it didn't feel like much of a Chloe movie to me apart from, okay, I can tell we shot outside, they were actually on a beach, you know, there, there, there is some natural light going on. That's cool. And you get all those ridiculous kevin feige quotes about how chloe shot it outside like he had never fucking seen outside of a green screen set before it's like it's all fine but 
I just, I feel like a different screenplay could have played into her strengths. And Chloe had a part in the screenplay. She's not the only screenwriter, only story credit, but she's part of it. But it just didn't seem like something that could kind of lend itself to her. Because again, it's like all this plot, you know, and in a sense, you kind of wish this was a little more script doctored just to yeah. make it a little more tight. Because when, again, when it's this ambitious, you have 11 new characters. We haven't even talked about Kit Harrington because there's not a whole lot to say. Um, but if all these characters, all this backstory with the Celestials and stuff, they could make it work, but like, it, it and like, I don't want to call it ambitious, but it's just you're just trying to do a lot in one film. And I just don't think the, what, this form of storytelling was, was successful because you kind of emphasize the plot over the character. And I, I, w- I wish these characters were a little stronger developed. The, one, the ones that live, I don't feel great about still, you know? Like even the stuff with Sprite. You know, maybe we could have got a little bit more of Sprite's desire to be a real functioning member of society before the last 20 minutes of the movie. Like, again, you could have sprinkled that in the same way you could have sprinkled in more of Druid's philosoph- philosophical questions, you know, or... You know, just yeah. I mean, there's just with, so much with, left with, undone to me. Yeah, with, with Sprite, the only other scene you really get is the, at the very beginning in that bar when uh, she's flirting with that guy and he touches her and it goes like through her hand and she just like yeah. runs out. Um, but yeah, I agree. And you know, uh, I mentioned before, like the way Richard Madden played this movie and, and the way Kumail played this movie were so drastically different and i do feel like in in the range of like uh charmingness or whatever they they probably they're just kind of at giving different performances but still both very charming i think uh obviously madden a bit more reserved his character is holding his cards a little tighter to his chest i found kumail to be great in the scenes he got it just felt like different movies at times and um it felt like like tonally jumping from Richard Madden and Gemma Chan to Kumail and Brian Tyree Henry, who were both just like chewing every single scene down to the pulp every single, as much as they could. It was like, okay, we're going to, and someone like, like Don Lee is another great example who I thought he just like was enjoying himself the whole time. Every scene he got, he was just crushing it really, really making the most of it. And it just felt like, uh, making all of it work was just really tough. Um, you know, going going to a point that you said with uh, Chloe Zhao, I thought some of the like scenic landscape views were really cool. I really liked how the movie opens, like prehistoric times, like that's that landscape of Mesopotamia. Um, but the like way that it would transition from like really dark scenes to really bright sunsets like in my face i literally like a bunch of times like had to like cover my eyes and, like let them like readjust just because it was like so stark I, not, not necessarily a knock but it was just some and it, you know what it is it's that dolby cinema bro like yeah. that the, the dark color black the lights are just yeah so much so much better uh the sound amazing but yeah i thought that that kind of was like uh jarring at times i, I think intentionally to be like all right like boom you're you're here now um but it just felt like it felt like the pieces were all there, but like we said, the recipe just didn't work for some reason. Um, I don't know. I, we're obviously going to be getting another one. 
don't know uh, about that to be honest they 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 didn't exactly say another more eternals is coming get that producer comment that's not necessarily something they need to do so bro. i don't know if Eternals too it's certainly nowhere close because we know the next like two years of movies we we just in the end credit scene we get harry styles as arrow slash star fox correct with barry keegan with um well it's there lauren ridloff's makari and who was even the other one was that fastest with them was it thena i think it was thena because fastos and uh cersei and kingo are the ones that get grabbed something like that yes and so uh, there's no way they're gonna introduce harry styles and leave this cliffhanger and not bring him back. Oh, it's, uh, it's say, Thena, Druig, and Makari on the ship. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which, you know what? Honestly, cool. Like, I, I would follow those three more and, and just see what happens between Druig and Makari. Throw mm-hmm. Harry Styles in there being charming. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously a tie to Thanos, which is, you know, kind of like, where's this going? Um, but I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by it, but we're getting a second one. I, I highly doubt we'll get a shout back for that. Um, right. I, I guess and it's, it's going to be in space, it seems like. So why would you? It's not her well, strength. that's the thing. Are we sure we get a second Eternals or do we just see that crew on the ship show up in somebody uh, else's movie down the line? Good point. Good point. Whether it's Guardians 3 or even something further out. That's TV. a really good point. There's some unsourced talk of harry having a large like option deal the way marvel famously has done for many actors again doesn't necessarily mean they're making like eternals 2 or some spin-off thing you know so i think that they're probably thinking a lot about the reception to this film again it did get a b cinema score it's not just critics that weren't super enthused with this movie after all and you'll probably see that in stark box office drops in the weekends to follow so they'll probably do some soul searching, some thinking, you know, maybe um, uh, the Marvels, you know, I, I don't know if any of the movies we really know about are the ones and maybe it's further down the line. So um, we'll de- obviously we'll see people again, but maybe we don't see them all again, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, thoughts the, on the, go ahead. Yeah, you got them there. Oh, thoughts of the, on the second end credits. Scene. Yeah. We get Kit Harrington removing a sword uh obviously we already mentioned his characters going going through the black knight and then we we just hear him but man it got me jazzed mahershala's blade saying i, I don't even know what that was what, yeah are you ready whatever or something <laughs> yeah like fuck yeah let's go Hell yeah. how'd you feel about it oh that, that's great i, I honestly I, I wasn't sure what it was i was like is that dr strange who is that and i was like obviously it's familiar it's like i, I love mahershala but yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking it could be Mahershala Ali because we've gotten, you know, obviously nothing from Blade thus far. He was cast two years ago. So that's cool. Obviously, we know where the Black Knight will be popping up. So mm-hmm. that's one, one, one down, you know, yeah. um, but super jazzed for that. Also, I just wanted to know one thing I, uh, I did love. I thought it was a complete success about Eternals would be Harish Patel as Karun, Kingo's valet. Oh, yeah. Absolutely hilarious every single time the stuff with the cameras so, so good Every, everything about him was so good yeah i mean they they really have, have that character down you know uh, whether it's peter parker's friend in all the yes. spider-man movies or 
um you know just like that side character just can bring the laughs and yeah that was was amazing in this and i thought also brought like a nice like human element which is um you know just as it's like a welcome part to an a story about gods basically to have like a human being like oh well thank thanks for all you did <laughs> like guess i'll go die now it's like damn fucking rough but yeah shout out to patel any last thoughts before we wrap this up I think we went like 40 minutes on Eternals. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a lot for a movie. Did super like too much. Yeah. Honestly, though, you know, it, it, if it was a TV show, maybe it could have been executed on better just because you have more time. Normally, I don't say that about films, but this large scope, you want to do it all at once. Maybe, maybe TV was the way to go. I don't know. I know. Yeah, you know, it, it, I've heard that brought up on a couple of, of things I've listened to about it, and it makes a lot of sense. You have 10 characters, 10 episode season, like, just feels too perfect. We had Falcon <laughs> and the Winter Soldier really, like, scrape for six hours, but this, you know, we had to cram it in. The two you gotta pack it in. Pack it in. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, that's gonna do it for us this week. Yeah. Dave, what we got for next week? Yeah, so at last, we have the Silk Sonic album bruno mars anderson pack here at last we have three singles out thus far very exciting the rebecca hall netflix film from sundance passing starring ruth nega and tessa thompson critically acclaimed will be out midweek another oscar contender this time a best picture contender kenneth Branagh's belfast about his time growing up in ireland is coming out and we'll also be talking about our Grammy nominations predictions. So much to get into there. Nothing like Grammy nom time, dude. You know, an award show I don't care about, but we'll talk about. So uh, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Go back and listen to our Anderson Pock rankings uh, to get ready for the Silk Sonic drop. And also um, follow us at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.